Hello and welcome to the Inherited Wellness Podcast, a conversation of medicine, family history, and finding health and wellness by going back to our roots. I'm your host, Michael Smith, a naturopathic medical student, scientist, and family historian. Thank you for joining me today. So nearly 20 years ago, I had an x-ray taken on my back, and that showed a mild curve of my spine, otherwise known as scoliosis. And my journey with scoliosis had kind of began there, and it's really evolved to encompass a major part of my life. My curve has gotten, I guess, worse, uh, you would say. And I've been feeling, even recently, a lot more back pain and other things like that. And it's influenced the way I approach the world. And I know that my experience is not alone. There's many people who deal with scoliosis in different forms. I also have family members with scoliosis. And I've seen how scoliosis not only affects individuals, but their families. So I'm excited to have a conversation today about scoliosis with someone who I consider a scoliosis expert who has dedicated her career to helping others feel empowered with their scoliosis curve. She's not only she not only has scoliosis herself, but is a physical therapist trained in the scoliosis specific Schroth PT method and is the founder of Strength and Spine. Here to join me today is Beth Terranova. Beth, thank you so much for joining today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We'll dive into the finer points of scoliosis later, but first I'd love to just hear your story about your journey with scoliosis, your experience with it, and then how that led you to the career that you're in and doing the amazing things you're doing. Absolutely. So I was diagnosed as a teenager. Um, I remember when I was diagnosed, I initially had about a 10 degree curve, which is just on the cusp of being scoliosis diagnosis. And for whatever reason, we didn't get back to the doctor, whatever the situation was. And by the time we got back, my curve had progressed to 30 degrees, but basically the doctor said, look, she's done growing. You know, there's not really much we can do at this point, you know, just kind of go on, live your life, whatever. So being high school athlete, I remember I had, you know, my soccer bag, I was carrying a bunch of textbooks and I go into the librarian's office with the note that says, I need a second set of textbooks because I have scoliosis. And the librarian looks at me, she goes, you're carrying about, you know, 20 pounds of soccer shin guards and shoes and all this. And you're carrying your books in the other hand. What do you need extra books for? It seems like you're just doing fine. And I think that was the first time that I realized, well, she's right. Like, it's not really stopping me from doing anything. I have this curve in my spine. I don't think I really even understood what it was or how it was going to impact anything. So I played soccer, I ran track, and then I got involved in competing and weightlifting from my track and field coach. He brought us all down to the gym and said, we have to get you all stronger. So you're going to start weightlifting. And I picked it up right away. I really enjoyed it. And I noticed some weird things. I noticed like the bar was rotating when I was doing things. I noticed that like my symmetry, like I didn't look the same as the other people when I was lifting, but I didn't even realize that was my scoliosis until I became a physical therapist Mm -hmm. and, you know, going through the process of competing really got me interested in the physical side of things and becoming a physical therapist and going through 
the physical therapy curriculum and realizing there wasn't really much about scoliosis or how to treat it or what to do. So lucky for me, one of the, you know, people who really established the, the Shroff Barcelona method, which I'm trained in in the U S my mentor Hagit came to our class because she was an alumni of my program and taught us what is Shroff method. And from there I knew, I said, wow, this just explained everything, everything that I experienced, everything that I went through, this just opened the, the door for me to like all these things that I noticed, here's why. And that's really what started my journey to become interested. I started working in a hospital where I worked with people right after they had scoliosis surgeries. Um, as soon as they opened up that floor in the hospital, I was like, please put me there. I was so excited. Um, and went on to work in an outpatient setting, working with people when I trained in the Schroff method in 2018 and 2019, I trained and then evolving more into, well, it's not only about Schroff, how can it also become about fitness? And that's kind of what brought me to where I am today, where it's scoliosis specific, but also fitness and how we can build our strength for long-term for life. So I think a little long-winded, but my journey so far. That is so cool. It's, it's, it's so fascinating to see how our life experiences just shape us and mold us like each step of the way. And it's neat to hear your story. Thank you for sharing. You mentioned something that I think many people with scoliosis may experience a little bit. You mentioned when you're weightlifting, not having the same, not looking the same with your form and things as other people. I imagine that there's people with scoliosis, maybe especially like teenagers that maybe struggle with body image issues and things like that. Could you share your thoughts about that and maybe any experiences you have or, or insight you have into that? Absolutely. It's interesting because there was more, there was recently a study that many um, teens that are treated with scoliosis, with bracing and surgery do have body image issues that contribute to other challenges. Like um, the study was specifically referencing um, differences in kind of like their sexuality and, and sexual dysfunction later in life. Right. So these, and the study was really relating it kind of back to that appearance. And I think a, a lot of my clients, one of the biggest things is, is appearance because with some scoliosis, very visible, mm -hmm. um, and very obvious that there is, uh, that rotation. And when I thought back about it for myself, because my curve is relatively balanced, I didn't outwardly have a lot of people who would come and be like, you have scoliosis, but I do remember at one point, like bending for a weight in the gym and my coach going, Oh, look at your humpback. And just being like, what? It's like, I could see your rib hump when you bend forward. And just like, I was just like, Oh, like the way I know what you're looking at, but the way you say that just makes it sound so bad. Like, it's not a hump. Like this is, I have rotation in my spine, you know? And I, and I think that although I never that was really the first time I really thought of my curve as like, okay, somebody noticed this. Um, and that changed my view on it completely because before then it was really not something that stood out. And I remember even training with another person who had scoliosis who had had a spinal fusion and was weightlifting. And I could see more her 
asymmetry. I could see more hers. And I was thinking, well, mine doesn't really as much notice that, but I remember seeing as a teen, my rib cage sticking out more on one side and, you know, noticing those differences, but it took a while for me to kind of go back and, and realize like, wow, I did kind of cover those things up mm-hmm. for a while in a sense, and just kind of hide that until somebody outwardly point out like, wow, there's your, your hump, which we are like, don't even refer to it as that anymore in the scoliosis world. We're still working on our language because that was just so like how, how they diagnosed as a rib punk was so archaic. And so like the feelings that come with that, Right. So I think there is a large, um, of course, live on a spectrum of this, you know, dysmorphia, this relationship with our bodies. And I think we're learning more and more how it impacts people because, you know, I, I don't think it was as ever glanced upon as it has been now. I know for my curve, it's, it's fairly, you know, not visible and I can walk around and I don't have too many other than like back pain that I can manage, it's not affecting my the way of life. I know that for, for many others, it is. How in your practice have you turned this, turned scoliosis into a superpower? You're empowering people. How do you, how do, you do that? What's your philosophy? Yeah, I, I love this. I think scoliosis is a superpower. I think it's just, you know, and I've reflected on this a lot, you know, I've thought about what if I didn't have scoliosis, what would my life look like? How would my life be different? And truly I would have never found my passion. I would have never, you know, found this community of many of us with scoliosis and and being able to share those experiences. And it, you know, it, it, it's not great to have pain. It's not great to be like having those other issues, but I think that by going through these, those things, people with scoliosis, people with scoliosis fusion are some of the most resilient and some of the most empowered people that you could ever, because we go through so much. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some of us, some of us go through, like I did and just been like, I'm lifting weights. I don't care. This is what I want to do. You could tell me a thousand times I shouldn't lift weights. I'm still going to do it because I love it. But then I think there's also the side of, you know, I being a person with scoliosis and being told, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't lift weights. You're going to progress your spine. Don't do that. And it becomes this, like, I can't. Like I can't lift something because I have scoliosis or I shouldn't be active because I have scoliosis when really the best thing you can do is be active with scoliosis. The best thing you can do is strengthen your body with scoliosis because it's, it's just going to help in the long term for you to feel not only physically stronger, but mentally And and like some of my clients have said to me, like, I feel physically stronger, but also like. I had the point to reflect and say, I, you know, I'll give you a quick example. I had a client recently who her physical strength improved over the program. And when she had that time to sit back and reflect and realize that she was in a job that mentally didn't make her feel good. And by building that physical strength, building that self-confidence, she said, you know what? I'm getting a new job. And she did And she left her job and got a new job. And now she's super happy with it. So, you know, from that, from people who are like, 
I can't walk for more than 15 minutes because of my scoliosis, start lifting, get stronger on a tour in Europe. One of my clients, she's like, I was climbing the stairs on there. I was going up to this place. I had to go up, you know, I walked 20,000 steps in one day. And it's like that person a year ago would have never, he would have said, I'm in too much pain. I could never do that. Mm-hmm. So I think the combination of that physical, when it's paired with that, with that physical for me, the physical comes first. That's my background is the physical, right? Totally. But when that, that emotional social side of it congr- like comes with it, it's so powerful. It's so amazing to see the transformation. I want to go back a little bit. And we talked about scoliosis a lot. I think there's lots of ways that scoliosis manifests itself. The experience that one person has may be different from another, depending on where the curve is in their spine or, or if there's rotation or other things like that. Can you give us an overview of scoliosis as a condition and the superpower that we're talking about it as it is? Um, and like, what causes it? I think we, I think there's many factors, maybe genetic, maybe not. Um, There's maybe overuse of certain muscles that can pull our back certain ways. Can you just walk us through like the basics of what scoliosis is and and how it shows up throughout the different, in different ways throughout the lifespan? Absolutely. So there, there are different types of scoliosis. Um, Some people don't realize this, but there are different types. And the most prevalent type, the one you hear the most about is the adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. And that's the one that appears in teenagers, progresses rapidly during growth in in some cases where the teen may have bracing, the teen may go into a shroth therapy routine or get to a point where their curve has progressed to a point where they're recommended to have surgery. So that's the main one that you hear more about. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But there are actually several types of scoliosis. There are congenital um, scoliosis that occur because of a vertebrae that may not have formed to the proper shape. So it creates a curve um, of the spine. So that's one case. There's also infantile and juvenile scoliosis. Some babies are born with scoliosis. And actually, since they're so flexible, so moldable, they respond very well to casting. They do in, in babies with scoliosis very frequently. There's also scoliosis that develop from neuromuscular conditions. So mm-hmm. perhaps people who have asymmetry of their muscle tone, or perhaps they have some contractures uh, or, or something to that effect that causes them to start leaning towards one side, let's say. So I've seen some of cases like that, like cases with people who have cerebral palsy or um, muscular dystrophies where they start to weaken in their muscle support for the spine. And then we also have scoliosis related to connective tissue um, abnormalities. So scoliosis is prevalent in people who have Ehlers-Danlos, Marfan's, and other hypermobility tissue um, conditions. And lastly, there's an adult onset scoliosis. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the differences, but adult onset scoliosis is truly a curve that develops in a person as an adult. So it may be related to some changes in the spine, maybe some changes on the disc shape or something to that effect where a curve will develop as an adult. And actually when we get into our later years, 
there's estimates of uh, two thirds of people, I think it's 70 and older have some degree of scoliosis. So it actually becomes more prevalent because people do develop curves as they age as well. But in terms of the adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, that's where majority of the research is done because it's the largest group and truly it's idiopathic. We still are not a hundred percent sure how it develops. So we think there are genetic components. Um, we think there are some genes involved. We think that there are particular, um, things that turn on or off those genes that may make a curve progress more or might be in a different place, let's say. But truly we think that adolescent idiopathic scoliosis is a difference in the bone growth. Something with bone modulation we think is the catalyst where the vertebrae will grow unevenly. We still don't know why, but that creates starts to create the curve rotation. That also relates back to some change of the disc as well. We think that it's potentially the disc also involved. And I think some are leaning more towards the disc now than the, the vertebrae. Um, but that starts the cycle. And then what we think perpetuates that is the teen may start leaning into that curve, which further kind of creates that asymmetry where they're putting more pressure on the concavity side so it doesn't grow as much and they're pulling on the convexity side so it grows faster. And this is where we try to intervene as physical therapists and where we try to intervene with bracing is we're trying to balance that growth. We're trying to teach the spine to grow in a more neutral alignment ultimately. Um, now, those adolescents, right, when they finish when they're 18 or whenever they stop growing, become adults with scoliosis. And I think because there's so much variety of adults with scoliosis, actually that's, although I do work with teenagers, my specialty is really adults. I work with majority adults in my practice. Um, that's where it becomes so much harder to start doing the research and figuring out what's the best treatment because there's so much variety because adult literally starts at 18 and goes all the way up to however long you are here. Right. So, so that makes it a little bit more challenging over the lifespan. Of course, in a, uh, a 70 year old adult with scoliosis is presenting with just such a different case than a 21 year old adult with scoliosis. So we're still finding out how, how do we address those differences as the person gets older as well. And one of the other big pieces he asked about among the lifespan where we're finding more, um, we have to be careful of is menopause because many of our adults with scoliosis, when they start to lose bone density, become more at risk for progression. So that's where we really started to hone in on making sure that our adults with scoliosis are doing those good exercises to maintain their bone density, um, whatever they need in terms of supplementation, right? And we're starting to really hone in on that. But in terms of scoliosis progression over the lifespan, we have a few long-term studies that tell us, you know, a an estimation of how much a person will progress, but truly there's no, you know, 
there's no calculation to say exactly, you know, you have this curve, you will, or you will not progress. We, we have an idea. We look at the averages, but each case is so individual. So um, there's a lot of variability. I think that's the big underlying, underlying factor there. I know for me, one of the, the main drivers of, of my interest in the intersection between medicine and family history is, is the fact that there's skeletal disorders in my family. I've got other family members that have scoliosis and one got a, a spinal fusion because of that. And I think many thinking about scoliosis may ask, like, is there a genetic component to it? And I know we, we talked previously, you recently went to an international scoliosis conference in Spain and shared some things about what the current thought is on the genetics and stuff like that. Can you share that insight? Right. So, so we think there is a genetic component. We will often ask, is there a family history of scoliosis? Um, and originally there had been some genetic tests that were being tested to see if they predicted scoliosis or they predicted progression. Um, but what they found, it was really hard to determine the tests weren't always as predictive as they thought they were. Um, so now they're working more on looking at the MRNA profiles of people with scoliosis to see what are the patterns mm -hmm. and finding now that those MRNAs that they're looking at are related to bone modulation and bone growth. So that kind of gives us more the idea that um, scoliosis is truly a bone bone issue first, right? The bone mm -hmm. issue, disc issue, muscular issue, that all comes later, right? So we're leaning in towards that. And we do see prevalence in families. We do see, you know, curves more in some families than others. I mean, even my mother didn't have scoliosis, but I think that my grandmother did just based on her posture, just based on as she got older, when, you know, what, what she looked like and how she leaned a little bit. So she never mentioned it, but I'm sure that she probably did. Um, but yes, it is, it is something that we see in families. Um, there, we think there is a genetic component. We're not at a point where ultimately, you know, this genetics research was hoping that there would be a point where if your teen was diagnosed with scoliosis, you could do a genetic test and determine how progressive of a case that they would have. Because, you know, if we can, if we know that, okay, this curve is probably not going to progress and we can not put this teen in a brace and spare them the, you know, having to go to high school and this really tight corset, you know, not being able to breathe versus we know that this other teen is going to progress to needing surgery. Anyway, do we go in and do a more aggressive growth surgery? Now they do some surgery that modulate the growth of the curve, right? So, you know, if we could get to that point, it would really give us the ability to target a little bit more exactly our treatments, because I think now there's a lot of variability in how someone may be treated depending where they are. If they're in, you know, a state where they don't have a scoliosis specialist, or if they're in a country where they're not using the most recent technology, you know, there's a lot of variability in that too. So having this genetic testing, if, if it was able to become 
more of the norm would be able to give us a lot more information in terms of treatment and what to expect with progression. There's a lot of opportunities, I think, throughout healthcare and gliosis is just is one of the many ways that genetics is really can be used for that diagnosis, but also prognosis of what, what's going forward and, and how can someone can expect to live what their, their experience with, with living will be like uh, for years to come. Speaking of like living experiences, have you seen instances of how scoliosis not only affects individuals, but influences the family, perhaps with the family unit, like with, uh, with treatments or bracing or surgery or other things like that? I remember when, my, when a family member had surgery, like it was a big deal for my family and there was a lot of support they needed. And, and looking at all the various therapeutic options available, I can see that it would not only affect the patient, but their parents or caregivers or loved ones or in so many other ways, any experiences that you have with that? I think that scoliosis affects the family as much as the child. And I think they're in, in talking to parents of children with scoliosis, there's often a lot of guilt. Like, why didn't I see this sooner? Why didn't I catch this? I noticed this. I should have said something. Or even in the parent who has scoliosis, watching their kid grow and keeping an eye on, you know, every day, are you leaning? Are you, are you starting to develop a curve? Because knowing that genetic component, knowing that there's the potential, right? So that's one aspect of it. And I think a big aspect too is there's so much out there. There's, you know, the Schroff method, there's bracing, there's fusion surgery. Now there are tethering surgeries. There are, um, chiropractic methods. There are, you know, there's different, there's soft braces, there's hard braces. There's, it can be overwhelming as a parent to even know where to start or where to go, or, you know, just whether the person that's giving you the advice is giving you the right recommendation, you know, because you may go and say, okay, well, this teen is on the cusp of needing bracing. We're not going to brace them right now. And then six months later, they progressed a ton and you, and that parents feeling that guilt of like, I should have put them in the brace. I should have done, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of like that, you know, supporting this teen, right. But also having this parent guilt of what should I be doing? How can I help them? What, what should I do? Um, and then also like, if they do need to have surgery or they do need to, you know, be in this brace and having that come like that disagreement of like, you have to wear the brace 20 hours a day. I don't care if you have in school, you know, kids are, looking at you and realizing you're wearing this or, you know, whatever it is, or I don't feel comfortable going to my friend's house, wearing my brace, mom, can I take it off or dad or whoever parent is right. Do I have to wear this? Do I have to do this? Um, so I, I think it does create a, some challenges in, in the family dynamic for sure. And it's funny because in my dynamic, I think that what really kind of molded almost my view was that my mother had a background in being a phys phys education teacher. And she didn't really 
get too worked up about it. Truth was, she was like, look, you have this, you know, it's something you're going to have to deal with. It's just, you know, you play your sports, do whatever you want to, and we'll go from there. It wasn't to her. I mean, because, because it had come to the point where it wasn't going to grow anymore and there wasn't really much else we could do. We kind of just took it as like here, you know, here we are with this. And I remember one point, maybe when I started weightlifting, she's like, you're going back to the orthopedist. I don't know if you should be doing this, but the orthopedist, ah, you're fine. And I don't really know that he understood what I was doing because I'm like, yeah, I'm putting, you know, my body weight over my head. He said, that seems fine. You know, he's probably thinking I'm doing like five pound weights or something. But anyway, I, I do think there is from the family, you know, and even from the siblings, like I know families that out of three kids, two of them have scoliosis, you know, and braces and, and kind of like seeing what your sibling has gone through, or maybe like bracing works for your sibling, but you need to have surgery. There's so much in that family dynamic that can be affected. It becomes like an all hands on deck situation in, in some aspects. So yeah, I definitely see that, that challenge that, you know, and then outside of the family, right. You're more larger family, like, Oh, what, what, what are they doing for the team? Like, Oh, you should go talk to this person. You should get this assessment. You should try this. So-and-so did that. And it worked for them or this person went there and it worked for them. So just always getting those pressures from internally and externally uh, can be very difficult for sure. I, I felt those various voices and opinions and and I'm right now trying to figure out what do I do myself? And I'm in the middle of my journey and figuring out that out. And I've experienced that. Something that you shared touched on a question that I had is that if a parent sees their child and notices a curve or notices, or maybe they've been diagnosed, just was recently diagnosed with a curve and they're feeling overwhelmed. They're feeling like, I want to make sure it doesn't get worse, but I don't want to like inflict this. I want to not subject my child to the, a lot of pain. What do you recommend? Where do they turn? What are the resources available for these parents that may be overwhelmed with this new diagnosis or these observations that they're not sure if it's scoliosis or things like that? Yeah. There are some organizations that have great information. So a big one is the Scoliosis Research Society. Their website is srs.org. And they have a listing of all of the members, like doctor members that are in their association. So if you are looking for a doctor that works with, pe with people who have scoliosis, it's a great directory to know that, you know, that they, these people work so much with this population that they're part of the professional organization that is working to progress the literature and move it forward. They have great resources for parents um, on their website. So sort is another one that's more the conservative care for scoliosis. Um, I believe they are sosort.org, but they also have a lot of information available for parents to, you know, look into all the conservative treatments. So what is the evidence for Schroth therapy? What is the evidence for, you know, needing to have surgery and, and those aspects as well. But truthfully, I think that one of the best things is to form a team that you feel that you can really trust. And I think that team for most 
teens with, I'll say teens with scoliosis is going to have an orthopedist that has experience working with scoliosis cases because many can, many will, you know, diagnose, but if it's not the primary thing that they're working with, they may not be as up to date on when they should be bracing, what's the best brace to use, um, you know, and, and maybe even pushing for surgery earlier than is necessary. Um, so I've seen some of those instances, having a good physical therapist who has scoliosis specific training, if you can find, I think one of the big challenges in our community, and we were even talking about this in the conference is that not everywhere you can just, you know, drive 15 minutes to your Shroff physical therapist. There are some States that only have two or, you know, where you have to go, you know, to another state to find one, et cetera. So, you know, trying to find one that does have good experience with scoliosis, if you can, and then finding if they do need to be braced, finding the orthotist and making sure that when they're in the brace, they're also getting that in in brace x-ray to make sure that the brace is doing something because the brace is useless unless it's actually correcting the, the curve when it's on and then correcting the curve when it's on and being worn long enough to make a difference. I think that's where some of our challenges run into. Um, and then too, for the teens, having them find their community, find their support group. Um, there are the curvy girls, which is a peer led, um, group for teens with scoliosis, where they can interact with other teens who are currently in treatment as well. Um, because many, and I have this conversation all the time. It's like, unless you have a family member with scoliosis, many of us haven't met other people who have scoliosis or have had a spinal fusion. Um, so having that community isn't, is important too. So I would say for me, that's probably the ideal. I realize we can't always get the ideal, but to know that there are resources out there to try to find that, that team for the person. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And I will include those links in the show notes so that our listeners can can go to those directly, those resources. You have a, a unique approach in how you approach scoliosis with physical therapy. Can you share a little bit about what makes your practice and strength and spine unique and how it helps people? Absolutely. So I trained in the Barcelona Schroth method as a physical therapist and really found that I, I enjoy using the Schroff principles, but also finding that sometimes people just wanted to do more in fitness, more in strength training and would have my patients finish their physical therapy, walk back into the gym and say, well, what am I supposed to do here? How do, how do I, like, I'm a person with scoliosis. The personal trainer is looking at me like, I don't know what to do with you. Right. So my clients started asking me, Beth, can you help me? You were a weightlifter, you know, about weight training. Can you help me start weight training? I want to, I don't know where to start. And that was basically where our program, our main program at strength and spine, the scoliosis strength program developed was people with scoliosis, people with spinal fusion who wanted to exercise in a way that felt safe, that felt effective, that they could make gains without feeling like they were leaning more into their curve, or if they were doing the right exercises, or if they were going to a class where they feel like they didn't fit in because they couldn't adjust things for themselves. Um, 
So I've kind of taken what I've learned of Shroth in terms of alignment, in terms of positioning, in terms of knowing your curve well, so that when you go into a fitness program, when you start your strength training, like we start our clients strength training right away, that you are able to make those adjustments to make sure you're strength training in a good position and you're not biasing one side or the other, and that you're using exercises that are helping to stabilize your curve and strengthen the muscles around them rather than doing exercises that are maybe going to be more about flexibility or other things that really, you may not really need, you may already be flexible, right? Focusing on stability and focusing on giving the curve good support so that we're not worrying about progression that we're keeping ourselves really, we're not getting in back into that cycle of like leaning into our curve that we talked about before. So, um, that's kind of how we, how, well, I say we now, but how I developed the, the program and we've had, I have to look now probably over 200 members go through, um, our program. And it's, it's been really exciting to see the difference because many of our members are people who, didn't know how to exercise, or maybe we're doing some strength training, but kept getting injured, didn't know how to progress, or were afraid to even go near the gym or to lift weights because they had been injured before, or they had worked with someone who maybe didn't understand what to do with them. And now they're able to really make progress. They're able to find those, uh, the, their strength. And like we spoke about before, you know, physically and, and mentally, um, and, and really take their, get back to the things that they want to do. I mean, I think that's a big part of it is like with scoliosis doesn't mean we have to stop doing something or not do something. It's just, we have to find a way that works for us. So we, we have this online program and, and it's been running for a while. And I have to say, I, I it makes me so happy. I, I love, I'm, you know, you, sometimes you say, I wish that I had this person in my life when I was diagnosed, like I have become the person that I was looking for mm -hmm. as a teenager and a young adult. And to me, that's very powerful. So I get a little like teary eyed when I think of it, but I'm really glad that I'm able to help people in this way. If someone wanted to learn more about what your program is and maybe enroll in it, where can they go to do that? So you can find us many places, our website, strengthandspine.com. Our Instagram is at strength and spine. Um, and then we also have a Facebook group called the Scoliosis Strength Club, where we welcome you if you want to learn more about exercising and meet other people in the community and be able to interact. Um, we'd love to have you there. So those are probably the best ways to reach us. And you can even shoot me an email. You can put my email in the notes to mm -hmm. Dr. Beth at strengthandspine.com. I'd love to hear from you, share your story and let's, let's, let's chat. <laughs> I've enjoyed talking with you, Beth, and I'm grateful for the insight that you provided to me in my, in my journey as well. As we wrap up, I was wondering if you had any last words and specifically what wellness means to you. I think sometimes we wellness, when we think of it is so multifactorial, there's so many aspects to it. There's so many parts of it. I think that it's feeling that balance of your, your physical, your psychological, your social, and feeling that you have the support 
um, to be able to enjoy and, and be able to live your life. And when one of those scales is off balance, right? How, how you can work to realign them in a sense. Right. And I used to think, right. Being my weightlifting wellness was all about the physical, right. And when I was competing, it was just about how much weight can I lift? How much can I do? What is going to take me to that next goal? But realizing that there's so much more to it. Um, and I think for us, there's a piece of wellness with scoliosis that comes with acceptance, you know, realizing this is something that we're going to have for the rest of our lives and, you know, that there's going to be challenges along the way, but knowing that we have the potential to do whatever that we want to, and that, you know, it's not something that has to stop you. It's not something that has to hold you back. It's just a matter of finding what works. So I think for, for me, especially the wellness is having the balance of physical, the, the mental, the social, and, you know, being able to take what you have, because some of us have mild curves. Some of us have major curves. Some of us have, you know, everything in between and saying, well, what can I make my best with this? And where do I go from here? And you can always go somewhere from here. I think that's the important thing. A lot of people think I can never change this. There's nothing I can do, but I believe you can always go somewhere. So it's, it's just about getting started. I don't know what uh, one more perfect place to end. Thank you so much for your thoughts, for your inspiration, and for the work that you do in not only promoting the, the need for scoliosis care, but, but exemplifying that in your life and your practice. So thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me and for getting this information out there. I think it's so important. We just need to keep spreading awareness and, and sharing our stories. And, and that's what's going to progress the future for, for those who, who are diagnosed after us. Thank you for joining me today on the Inherited Wellness Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. I look forward to you joining me next time. And until then, be well.